Hello and welcome to episode 314 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. Almost forgot my name there. You were really, really close. And we're coming to you. From Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48, Super Bowl 48 champion. Wow, you also Seattle forgot the Seahawks. word 48. <laughs> I just could not enunciate it correctly there. It's the Pie Edition. Oh, I was going to say it's the Pie Day Edition. Hello. Yeah, I was at the Pie Day Edition. Yeah, it's the Pie Day Edition. <laughs> no, Pie Day would be is March 14th. This is just Yay. the pie episode, which we should have eaten pie. Instead, we had some cake for a reason we'll talk about it in a second here. <sighs> because our beer this week. Hello. From our friends at Matchless Brewing in Tumwater, Washington. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know why I'm excited about <laughs> I don't know, but I knew you would be. It's the What Day Is It IPA. And do you know why we're drinking the What Day Is It IPA? Why is that? Because it's your birthday. That's oh, what day it is. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. High level with the themes. Uh, still never sure of what day it is. You had me at Tumwater. <laughs> yes. Weirdly. Us too. This ju- I've never been to Tumwater. I don't know that I have any particular desire to go to Tumwater, but I like that it exists. It's near Olympia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this it's a great place to drive through. This juicy and dank hazy IPA should solve that problem. Wait, what was the problem again? Never mind. We load it up with lots of Idaho 7, Chinook, Enigma, and Topaz hops and back it up with Pilsner malt, pale wheat, and flaked wheat and fermented with juice yeast, all providing refreshing tropical notes, in, including ripe pineapple with a perfect juicy and dank finish. All right. The hops Is it that Friday are hard- yet? Oh, you're, that you hadn't finished. The hops that are hard to place in here. Those are the Enigma hops. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, we are really off to a rousing start. <laughs> Uh, well, besides toasting to your birthday, uh, this week we are toasting to Ballard FC. Hello. We talked about them on the pod. We should, ideally, we should have saved the beer for this, but I, I didn't plan that far ahead. Uh, for winning their inaugural match, uh, I believe on Saturday, 5-1 over Lane United of Eugene. There we go. rivals. There Lane we go. United. I didn't care at all when you said Ballard FC won their inaugural game until you mentioned... Land United of Eugene. Lane, Lane United. Lane United of Eugene. Nobody I hate more. You know, Lane, Lane Land, whatever they are. Lane United has literally never beat Ballard FC. <laughs> no one has. They should just go out on top. Pull a real Costanza. <laughs> uh, in, in Saturday news this week, we're remembering inaugural Seahawks GM John Thompson, who passed away last week at age 95. Uh, Thompson served in that role from 1975, a year before the Seahawks played their first game, through 1982, and uh, oversaw the hiring of their first coach, Jack Patera, was also involved in the selection of the team's names, name and colors. Really makes you think, huh? So, Well, that's, uh, that's all we have as far as twists this week, so I think it is time for us to uh, begin. Wow. Our search for Seattle's best. Nobody's barbecue. emailed. No, a, a listener did email, but it was to uh, to to ask if I could help with a uh, school project. So <laughs> what? Yeah. Just, wow. I guess my email got lost in it spam. Was about, it was about basketball stats. I don't. I don't know if you were uh, the first to talk to. Made a pivot table today. <laughs> Congrats to you. At person who's clearly in school of some kind. Look. Uh, no, they're the teacher. It's their student that is doing the project. Oh. I'm helping with. Well, I guess I'll keep checking the old spam folder. 
What's going to come to Feldencast at gmail.com? You don't have access to that email account. I'm going to check the spam folder on that. How you are always excited and surprised when we have a listener email. No, it's definitely better that I don't have access to it. Yeah. What did they want help with? Uh, Their student is doing a project on basketball stats, wanted to ask me some questions. So you said no, right? Yes. Of course. <laughs> I was like, never, never. Do you know what my time is worth? <laughs> <laughs> You're like Charles Barkley. I'm not a role model. Wow. So our search for Seattle's best barbecue has started at Jack's barbecue, which, uh, thoroughly central Texas known for their brisket. Uh, we've discussed several times in the pod, including we went to Jack's, Jack's Chicken Shack, which is still the same restaurant, but at this little Lake Union location during our search for Seattle's best fried it's not chicken. It's the same restaurant. It's only at the South Lake. Like the place that we went to, there was no Chicken Shack. That's correct. But I'm saying it's not like there's a separate shack that houses the Chicken Shack. It's out of the same operation as the Jack's Barbecue in, in South Lake Union. Kind of lies. Uh, so as we've discussed, Je- Chef Jack Timmons, a Texas native who worked at Microsoft before attending a barbecue summer camp at Texas A&M to learn the art of smoking, he honed it at backyard dinners before opening Jack's in Soto in 2014. Uh, and we went pretty early in that existing, I remember. And then I, I feel like it was a long period of time before I went to Jack's again. I remember it was the Jack's Sigma uh, Hall of Fame ceremony. I went after that. So that would have been September 2019 because it was the week before the live, the last Peltoncast Live before we did it last month. Before the last Peltoncast yes. Live. Yeah. The last Peltoncast Live before the pandemic. And then... Oh, when, which is over. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good news. <laughs> uh, went repeatedly to get takeout during the stay-at-home period. All Jack's right. proved like one of our go-to takeout orders during that period. And I feel like we gained a greater appreciation. It was funny. So I was looking back to like see when it had opened based on like when we had first talked about it. And in my notes, in my email, I had I was telling people that I didn't I had learned from going to Jack that I didn't like Central Texas barbecue that much. Whoa! And now I disagree with myself from eight years ago. Oh, that was a long time ago. It was. Hopefully, we all changed. disagree with ourselves from eight years ago. We've evolved. To be honest, uh, <clears throat> I I think that it wasn't an issue with Central Texas barbecue though. See, I I think what you did was a, a classic cognitive error, uh, which you're prone to. Uh, again, podcast at gmail.com. Just <laughs> hit me. But I, I think that they hadn't quite figured it out yet when he went there. This was 2014. Like, I'm surprised it, that they were, they've evolved that much. Other people thought it was really great in 2014. No, I looked, I looked at those Yelp reviews. They had like a three and a half, three stars on Yelp early on. But I, think, I don't think Seattle people knew Central Texas Barbecue. And we've also like... I totally do disagree with you. I guess it could get better if a restaurant should get better over time. Honestly, like when you're fucking Seattle Times and shit out there, when those people go out and they review stuff within the first two weeks, it's like, that's fucked up. I mean, they sometimes re-review stuff. Uh, I guess I was going to say... <laughs> In the aeroplane over the sea 9.5 we well, every week love this ongoing joke this is a great one I have to look at what they actually reviewed I know that they re-reviewed I'm gonna have to put this in the glossary uh, it's only been two episodes I was gonna say that maybe they reviewed I, Discovery by Daft Punk maybe I hadn't had it the first time <laughs> Maybe they hadn't had actual Central Texas barbecue by this point, but we went to Salt Lake in Salt Lake in April 2014. 
Uh, so I know for a fact that that is untrue. And you didn't like when we went to Salt Lake? I don't know if I was blown away by it. It, it really went, it was went, I lost went my to, sense of taste. I believe, yeah, you were very sick at that point. <laughs> I invented COVID. Should have been wearing a mask. I doubt it, like, at that wedding. Uh, it was when I went to Lewis Barbecue in Charleston. I think that my eyes were really opened to the majesty of brisket. Because one of the takes I wanted to get into is brisket. I feel like in contrast to some of the things that we've done searches for, like fried chicken, it's hard to screw up fried chicken too much. Safeway is serving pretty good fried chicken on their cheap chicken Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. But brisket, the difference between the the ceiling for brisket and the floor for brisket might be as large as just about any food item out there. I totally agree. Like, totally agree. In the same way that Turn on the Bright Lights by <laughs> Interpol needed to be revisited. <laughs> Dear. Some of these are so funny. Like the 2004 Prince there, record that came out. Like who needs to be? List. Who needed to reassess musicology? So they like specifically have a tag for re re. There was one time Pitchfork reviews rescored. Oh, They're okay. like, finally we revisit musicology. Well, I agree with them about Room on Fire though. Best Strokes record. Um, <laughs> I, I agree it? with the re-review of Room on Fire. I actually disagree with them about Turn on the Bright Lights. The Do they revise things downwards? Or yes, just that upwards? Turn on the Bright Lights, they went from a 9.5 to a 7. Wow. Perfect record. Harsh break. Every single song is perfect. Imagine just like going around, like, look, it's one thing if they're positively reviewing it, but if you were going around for years being like, man, you know what? I don't care what anyone else says. Pitchfork loved that album. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets regraded downward? Yes, if you're Daft Punk Damn. and you're like, well, they, they regraded one record up and one record down. <laughs> So I'm in the middle. It's like the uh, Seinfeld episode where everyone, some people, Elaine was winning and George was losing. Yours, I have the reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jerry was staying steady the entire time. Jerry is Daft Punk. Uh, uh, George is The Strokes, and Elaine is Interpol. That checks out. You know what the robots really care about is Pitchfork reviews. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're not actually robots. Yeah, they're robots. Oh, they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're the robots. Cool. <laughs> oh my god they're, they're groundbreaking live performances and millions of records sold what they really were wondering about was they were just <laughs> oh dear they probably that when discovery came out that 6.4 was haunting them for a long time before it got revised to a 10 and they were reading that until they scrolled down slightly <laughs> anyway this is us with jack's barbecue I mean, uh, fortunately, our original review does not live on the internet. It's wow. not. Uh, it's not public. We wow! Did we even podcast then? I think we. I don't think we even saw each other at that point. It was the dark Peltoncast Dark Ages. Oh, so it was in the Peltoncast era. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was because yeah, we started the Peltoncast in fall of 2013. It was just during our falling out. Correct. <laughs> Correct. God, I hated you then. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. I still hate you now. <laughs> anyway, anyway, how could they review down random access memories? <laughs> but the, Wait, they I, really did move down random access. It's so stupid. That holds up. I mean, I, so barbecue. Jack's brisket. barbecue. Oh, brisket in general. Yeah. 
So fully agree with you. I'm, I'm, it's funny to hear you say that because I mentioned this to you while we were on the phone on, on an offline podcast. Yeah. Like sometimes you scroll through, I was scrolling through Yelp for barbecue. There's some dry fucking looking barbecue, right? We were talking like Lincoln Riley status you, level you, barbecue. You know what? I, we mentioned Salt Lick earlier in this pod. I you thought Salt Lick was dry? No, I had Salt Lick in the DFW. Oh, well, Airport barbecue is always dicey. Here's the thing is that you have to have salt like from the actual pit. If you're there's no barbecue pit at the fucking Dallas Fort Worth airport, right? <laughs> it's, like that's very true. If it's not there and it's not at the pit, the further away from the pit you get, the worse the barbecue is. You, did you have the one that was in the Austin airport? Yeah, it's not bad. Okay, I think it's gotten worse over time, but it's like it's so different. It is it's like commercialized barbecue. Yes. So. I mean, you talk about Jacks. Like, there's clearly expansion happening with Jacks, and that's the intention. And the barbecue ultimately will probably get worse in the same way that Pecos, which we might talk about next week, is like as Pecos has expanded, I think the barbecue on the whole has gotten worse. When well, it was just the initial Pecos pit, that was the one spot, it, it was different. I don't agree that the barbecue at Pecos pit itself has gotten worse. I agree that when you go to non-original locations, much like with the Zells, although, as I posted on Instagram, Hello. I had the West Seattle Zells for the first time tonight. Pretty solid. For a in his L's that far away from the original location. Okay. Not like your one out here in Fairwood. <laughs> you know, sometimes. Well, look, you, I mean, you take what you can get in Fairwood. Uh, so I definitely agree with you about barbecue, though. Like, if, if you get it and it is dried out, right? If they just, if it is not cooked pretty perfectly, it is inedible, basically. Like, if you get a dry brisket. I mean, you can eat it, but it's just like mom's steak. Yeah. Nobody wants to eat mom's steak. Or or moms at least. Oh de Jan. So Jack's barbecue in particular, I think the first time we went, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, both literally and figuratively. Uh, I mean, there's a there is a reason we didn't go back for such a long period of time, even it, though I was always still intrigued by it. For me personally, it didn't affect my perspective about Central Texas barbecue, but. It was just like, I think Jax hasn't figured out how to do this. I think it kind of sucks. Over time, they clearly have worked on it. They've honed what they're doing. They figured it out. And it's a lot better now. And, I mean, look, this is part of the challenge of this search. We're going to see how far we're willing to go because I, I was told by the listener that there's a, a spot in Marysville that has really good Central Texas barbecue. And I don't know if Marysville, we've, we've done Mill Creek, but Marysville feels like a bridge farther. Seattle, Washington is already pretty far from Central Texas. <laughs> Marysville is just that much farther. You, in some ways, Marysville may be spiritually closer to Central That's Texas. That's what I was talking to you last week, though, is that all the, there are many different types of barbecue. We're not reviewing nationwide America's best barbecue. We were reviewing Seattle, Washington's best barbecue, and those options are limited. I mean, there's a lot of places out there. We'll see like how good some of these you know, kind of pop-up locations really are that we haven't tried before. I'm excited to try. But again, the there's, a, there's a general consensus out there that the less defined the hours are of a barbecue operation, the better it probably is. That's like, for The harder us. you have to work for it. Yeah. As long as it's difficult to get, you know it tastes better. <laughs> I mean, Pecos for a long period of time, like you had to go there at lunch to the one location. That was your only option. It's gotten a lot worse since then. I don't agree that the original location has gotten worse. So, Jax, you did mention, by the way, that they now have four locations. So the original one is in Soto. 
there's there's the South Lake Union spot that also occasionally has chicken. Uh, there's one in Algona, and most recently opened one up in Bellingham. Did you go to the South Lake Union one? I did go to the Why South Lake Union. Why did you? You fucked up this entire search. No, it's still good. What, did you get chicken? I did not get chicken. God. The only disappointment was the outdoor spot in South Lake Union. You can't take beer out there. So I wasn't able to have a nice shiner with my meal. I'm just going to be real with you. If you try hard enough, you could take beer anywhere with you. <laughs> oh, well, they were not offering me beer to take Nobody out can stop you. Fair point. Uh, you just don't, you don't have, a, you're not always competing. It's fine. You're sometimes competing. I mean, I didn't know the rule beforehand. I assumed that I could purchase beer and drink it outside. I didn't know. <laughs> you remember my first time ever going to Pecos, 2014. You just brought a beer with you? Yeah, I brought the Shiner with me outside. Who's going to stop me? Not a goddamn one of you. (laughs) Oh, boy. So what did did you get at the Jacks? I got the brisket plate. Uh, So we mentioned last week that sides are going to be part of this. Sides, I went with their mac and cheese, which is solid. Uh, And then the brisket chili is actually kind of low-key my favorite thing about this. That I did not think was as good as I had in the past for whatever reason. It was much runnier this time, mm. but and not as thick and viscous like you want with the chili. But the brisket chili is quite good, generally speaking. Okay. Have you ever had, you've never had that, have you? I've had the brisket chili. Okay. You know, I, I think it's a mistake to not get it. It's just chili. You're already having brisket. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. Like It's a lot. I agree. I, I think... What, when I think about food, mean brisket with a side of brisket, which is advanced. I, I almost think about like what color the things are as like the diverse different tastes. So it's like if you have something where it's a little bit too much on the like grainy side or whatever, the creamy grainy side, you need some hot sauce on there like to counteract that, right? You need both the things. I they so they offered me barbecue sauce uh-huh. to go with this as I assume you got as well with your yeah. your takeout meal, and I did not put any of that on the brisket because that would be offensive. Okay, but I poured it on the mac and cheese. That's great. I'm okay with that. Yeah. and so that's why I went with mac and cheese. I did two orders, so I did the rib plate and the brisket plate. Uh, that ate them all myself. Um, <laughs> you split that with Mrs. Fantasy Genius, right? Uh yes, but. Went with the sides, cornbread, two mac and cheeses, and then the fries as something that's just like a slightly different flavor, a more neutral flavor to go along with the brisket. And their fries are pretty good. Oh, the fries were phenomenal. They were excellent. Approved by Babyus Fantasy Genius. Yeah, apparently right? they ate the whole thing. Uh, corn, Their cornbread is also very solid. I've had that many times in the past. Like sometimes I'll get that as an extra side on top of the brisket, chili, and mac and cheese if I'm feeling especially gluttonous. So there are two huge ribs that came with it, right, in the rib plate. And then the, just the, like, slices, like four or five slices of brisket. And to me, the most difficult part to judge, I thought both the ribs and the brisket were pretty excellent. Really, the most difficult thing was just to understand which was better between the two. And I don't, think, I don't think I ended this with a preference between each of the items. I don't think I've, I don't know if I've had their ribs. I mean, I've always been like pretty strictly brisket at Jack's. The ribs are pretty excellent, but it was like, again, I thought both were really good. I don't want to, I don't want to review, I don't want to give a grade yet to Jack's until we've gotten a little bit deeper into the search. Right. I, I want things to come a little bit more into focus. So far, I thought the experience was phenomenal. And, and that's kind of where I feel like, 
For me personally, I want to leave it after this first week until we get a little bit deeper into the search. But it is a contender in the way that when we did the chicken search, I don't think it was a legit contender. Right. Well, when, they, they did bone. They do chicken strips. They do boneless chicken. So ultimately, we realized that they were not a contender because of that. Immediately. Although like, I got to tell you, when I went to Zell's, I still got the strips. Oh, yeah. Pound of spicy strips. Half pound. Wow. I know I was having cake a, here. You didn't eat a rim plate and a brisket plate plus four sides? <laughs> I did not. Uh, I think right now it's just, again, as the first place that we've been to, I think it is somewhere that will almost certainly make the bracket and could even be a high C in the bracket. Can I give you an idea? So we usually do numerical scores for these. What if instead we just kept a running list like top to bottom of rankings instead of doing scores? That sounds great. It sounds great, but not for the listener because you were like a mile away from the that microphone. That sounds when great. You said it. Oh, now it's much too loud. Like the, the point is to maintain a solid, consistent volume on the podcast. You don't want to be up and down. Uh, uh, but I feel the same way. I mean, one of the things we've you know learned over the course of these searches is even though we may have eaten these things before, our understanding of them is going to ex- evolve substantially. <laughs> Uh, just eating it on a week-in, week-out basis, learning more about the food, uh, you know, doing some research, things like that. So what, you know, like you said, our understanding of barbecue is not now what it's going to be in a month. Yes. Not, and especially not in two months or yes. three months. We don't want to have to go back and re-review in these places. <laughs> I mean, I do want to go back and re-review them because I want to eat them a second time, but... Yes, I don't want to have to correct our review. The initial Liz Fair Liz Fair review is like the, your Costco burger review. Oh, no. Well, it's a 0.0. You know what has given me any reason to I think they've gotten the Costco God, there, I th- there was some other item that I heard that Costco had in Tacoma, and I was like, fuck, I need to try that. We're going to have to make a run to Costco in Tacoma? I have to I have to find out what it was to, to figure out what it was. Oh, man, I'm going to die. Maybe you should try to look this up if we're going to get into the rundown a little bit. Although you're 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 covering the next segment because we don't have any hot takes again this week. But we have Tristan's review of attending a Mariners game for the first time this season. So I, I am very curious to hear you talk about that experience from uh, Monday night's game or Tuesday night's game. Which one was that? Was the it was Monday night. The game they lost, right? No, they won. Oh, they won. Okay. Against the A's. Really tried to lose. Uh, Julio Homer. Oh, yeah. Is he his want to do? <laughs> Got a response of hot dog only. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, you asked? <laughs> what was the friend? item that Costco Tacoma has in the food court? And, and just a response of hot dog only. I, I, Until mid-June. Apparently, it's being renovated. Okay, well, clearly the opposite of what you thought was happening there. <laughs> but I love that, I like... I swear to God, there's something. They're like, we're renovating. We can't make any food except the hot dogs. We cannot <laughs> have a Costco without hot dogs. It is literally not Costco unless there's hot dogs. Oh, man. Uh, uh, fried chicken sandwich. Hmm. Probably right. not very good. Well, we've never had a fried chicken sandwich. Oh. 
We've never had a fried chicken sandwich. From Costco? No. Uh, We've never had a burger from Costco either. Do, and there turns out there was a reason for it. review going to a Mariners game? Because yeah. I was in Diamond Club, so the review is always going to be great. Well, I don't feel look. like this is an accurate representation. <laughs> okay, but you saw a Mariners game in person. You saw them play. And like, you I, must have some I thoughts about the experience. Julio is so much fun to watch hit. Uh, the, the idea that sometimes in fantasy football when things are dire and you have that flex position and you're like, I don't know what to do here. And you find yourself playing a tight end in the flex oh, position. No. To cry for help. That's the Mariners DHing Luis Torrens and starting Cal Raleigh at catcher. Well, when it's like you find yourself playing two catchers, you've got real, real problems as an organization. I mean, I think that's short lived because you happen to catch them right before. Kyle Lewis's triumphant return from rehab in Tacoma where he went two for four in his uh, debut on Tuesday night. I haven't actually looked at the box score from today's loss. He went to over. The okay. Yeah. That sounds about right. But but no, I, that, that was the only thing where it's like, Cal Raleigh actually homered in the game. Um, and Eugenio Suarez homered also. The bats came alive on Monday. Yeah. Which did not continue on Tuesday and Wednesday. No, they, they hit plenty well on Tuesday. They just couldn't pitch. Yeah, they gave up seven runs to a very bad offensive team. Uh, also, seeing that it was interesting, um, Rick Riz pregame was talking about like you know the A's are without all these great players from last year, right? Sean, Sean and I, Matt Chapman, um, the dude who got traded to the Braves. For Sergio Chris. Ramos. No. No. Oh, that didn't go up. Sergio Romo. Or Sergio Romo, yes. Who's on the Mariners? Yes. He was not on the A's last year, was he? I thought they said he was. Was he? Maybe I mis- misunderstood that. No, no. They have a superstar first baseman who got traded to the... Matt Olson. Yeah, Matt Olson. Uh, <clears throat> there's like all these different players. And the Mariners have all the same players from last year and are below them in the standings. Yeah, he was on the A's last year. Sergio Romo was? Yeah. Did he pitch for them? At some point, I assume he did. Uh... And, and just knowing what the payroll is for the A's this season, and again, seeing them ahead, which granted, this is like a long-term A's thing. This has kind of been the deal forever, is that their payroll is always lower than these teams, but they win right. more games. But it, for the Mariners, I think it's... <laughs> Not these teams. The Mariners. Specifically the Mariners. But it's been other also teams. The Angels. It's been the Angels quite yeah. a bit. It's just notably pathetic for the Mariners to have come yeah. back home, lose these two games, get Kyle Lewis back, lose both of those games. Uh but again, the experience of being Diamond Club was great. <laughs> like, I don't, but I feel like the Mariners are, like, I watched a substantial amount of the games on Monday and Tuesday after the NBA games ended those nights. Uh, I feel like they're a much more fun team to watch now because obviously Julio by himself is extremely yes. fun. And Kyle Lewis just makes them more fun, even if it's not like the full Kyle Lewis experience while he's still stuck DA chain and... I think what we're entering into is like 1991 Mariners territory. Okay. Right, where it's like... Well, 91 is the year that they went surprisingly 500. So I think last year in this analogy would be 91. Are you saying this year is 92? But it's because of Julio. Like, there's a young superstar on the team that is fun to watch. 1989, Mariners. Maybe, maybe We're only six years away. (laughs) From (laughs) from losing into the playoffs. Uh, Greatest moment in franchise history. (laughs) But I, I feel like that's kind of the territory that they're entering in. Like, clearly they're not a, you know, that Seattle Times, this is the year. That could go straight <laughs> out the window. <laughs> but but they are interesting. They are interesting. Yeah. So it, it is truly something. I mean, having both Kyle Lewis and Julio in the lineup at the same time, 
It's exciting. I mean, it was Kyle Lewis's first major league game since May 31st of last year, so almost exactly a calendar year. All last year, I thought he didn't. Yeah, he did play at the start of the year before having that knee surgery. I mean, Julio over his last 15 games before today's game, since again, I have not looked at that box score, uh, a 333, 355, 567 slash line for a 922 ops, four home runs and 60 at-bats in that stretch, homered both Monday and Tuesday against the A's. Uh, Mariners made a move over the weekend with Mitch Haniger injured, Jared Kelnick in Tacoma. They signed veteran outfielder Justin Upton Hello. on Sunday. Upton was waived by the Angels during spring training, has been at home since then, so he'll report ex- extended spring training before joining oh, the big club. you're going to need three to four weeks to find your swing. Most recent of Upton's four All-Star appearances came in 2017, after which he extended his contract for five years and 100 plus million. Uh, his ops immediately slipped from 901 to 808 in his age 30 season, has not been better than 724 since then, and he is now age 34. So the odds of Justin Upton actually helping the Mariners seem pretty low. Again, but, they, they've been DHing Cal Rowley and Mike Ford, uh, Stephen Sondheim. Like, yeah. Things, the are, things are gnarly at DH. <laughs> Well, that's where Kyle Lewis is now, though, because Upton's going to play in outfield, the outfield, which is a problem by itself. But he's not going to DH. Anything else on the Mariners? All right, let's talk about the Sounders, who played a pair of matches last week. Got a one nothing win Wednesday at Houston, then a one nothing loss Sunday at Colorado. They also, or even Steven, uh, just like uh, Daft Punk, uh, on Wednesday in Houston, Rel Reed Diaz scored the game's Let only me just goal. Throw out that that we should not be comparing the Seattle Sounders to Daft Punk. Why not? Because Daft Punk is maybe the greatest electronic group of all time, mm, and the Sounders Sa- are maybe the greatest MLS team of all time. You just Try, trying to think. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> are you saying like what's the what's the musical I, equivalent? I don't want to insult any, any particular genres. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just leave it here. I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> That's sad. Hell, Reedy, I'm just saying. We, okay, the, the Jerry Seinfeld of of uh, MLS. Real Rodriguez scored the game's only goal in the 28th minute. Both teams had a player sent off for a second yellow card in the second half with the Dynamo losing Adalberto. It's like saying that PSG is even Steven because they <laughs> kept Mbappe and lost Leo Messi or something. I don't know. I don't know if that's quite quite the right metaphor here. Karaskia in the 54th minute, and then Alex Rodin for the Sounders following in the 82nd minute after picking up two yellows in a span of four minutes, which is pretty wild. Uh, Sunday, Nico Ladero missed the match following the birth of his child. Uh, with him unavailable, the Sounders went to three at the back and just two attacking midfielders. The Rapids got the only goal on what was originally credited as an own goal by Yaimer Gomez Andrade before being credited to injury substitute Jonathan Lewis. Sounders had just three shots on goal. Their best opportunity came when a possible foul on Real Riediaz in the box was reviewed before being ruled not a penalty. Uh, some controversial calls in that one. After three MLS games in seven days, six across all competitions in the first 22 days of May, Sounders get a week off before hosting expansion side Charlotte FC in the first meeting between the two clubs. Charlotte a reasonable ninth in the East so far in points per match, which is better than the Sounders, who are 12th in the West, uh, but 10th in points per match. They're five points back of the three teams, including both Colorado and Houston, who are tied for the last playoff spot with two matches in hand on each of them. Daft Punk would have never played against Charlotte FC. 
<laughs> you don't think they've ever shown, done a show in Charlotte? <laughs> I'm sure they've done a show in Charlotte. That's just not the equivalent. Not the equivalent. I I have learned from this that Charlotte FC is a team. I I honestly didn't know until I saw <laughs> it on the schedule. I'm like, we just added Cincinnati, right? We're good. Oh, Austin, we're getting pretty deep here. You know, MLS markets. is kind of a pyramid scheme, right? They need these expansion fees. Oh, to... Damn, the pyramid was part of Daft Punk's legendary <laughs> show. <laughs> see, see, Daft fucking MLS. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Uh, when they started building Daft Punk-specific stadiums. Really, things turned around for them. Uh, O.L. Reign got their third draw in four matches to start the NWSL regular season on Sunday against Washington. Again, holding the spirit is in the NWSL Challenge Cup. Reign seemed to have the better of play with 20 shots, eight of them on goal, but couldn't find the back of the net in that scoreless draw. They finally got their first regular season win Wednesday against shorthanded Kansas City Current, who had six players out for the game, including a couple in COVID protocol. Bethany Balser scored the only goal in the 80th minute as the Reign again had 20 shots and nine on goal to none for Kansas City. So a dominant performance there. Uh, on Sunday, the Reign will host surprisingly hot San Diego Wave who are atop the NWSL table. Oh, no. This is all my fault. Well, I know. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you taunted those Wave fans. San Diego the Wave comes back to haunt me. <laughs> you know, the, the thing about Waves, they just keep coming. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> after finishing third in the Challenge Cup West I was division. not expecting to hear about that again. <laughs> yeah. uh, San Diego Wave have, have gotten six goals in five matches from Alex Morgan, who is dominating the Golden Boot Race. Is that Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas City, Missouri? <laughs> <laughs> I believe the current are building their stadium on the Kansas side. There we go. The okay. A few. Uh, <laughs> Would have been a lot of things coming back to haunt me in this particular segment. Wow. Uh, the rain beat San Diego 3-1 to one here in the Challenge Cup. You attended that one, right? Yeah. Didn't see any of the goals. Got a 1-1 draw in San Diego. Seattle Storm got Epiphany Prince and Brianna Stewart back from the health and safety protocols ahead of last Wednesday's game against the defending WNBA champion Chicago Sky uh, and won twice at home Wednesday against the Sky Friday against the Los Angeles Sparks in similar fashions, built sizable leads in each of those games, 15 early in the fourth quarter on Wednesday, 10 with 327 to play on Friday, and then survived late scares to win each of them by three points. All right. So a little, little shaky on the landing. But better performance from the Storm, back to 500 now at 3-3, three and three, seventh in the WNBA standings. Uh, Ezzy Megbegore starred on Wednesday, scoring a career-high 21 points on 9 of 13 shooting and also tying her career-high with four assists. Uh, after getting her conditioning back from the week she spent uh, alone in alone in, uh, Charleston? in Phoenix. Alone in Phoenix? I don't know if Epiphany Prince. You, so Stewie said that she they got her an Airbnb to spend these six days that she spent in COVID protocols in Phoenix. I don't know if Epiphany Prince was also there. But uh, after getting together? your conditioning back. Well, think they would, I guess you probably could quarantine together. Alone in Phoenix is definitely not quite oh, alone, not alone in Charleston. In, for sure not alone in Charleston. <laughs> Uh, after getting your conditioning back, Stewie had 28 points on 11 of 20 I mean, shooting. Like, ha- having an Airbnb alone anywhere sounds kind of nice. <laughs> I mean, yes. As long as you're away from your 10 to 15 <laughs> children, that's the key for you. But I, I think there's some places I would choose ahead of Phoenix, Arizona. There's, there's no Lewis Barbecue in Phoenix. Um, the Storm also got a week off for practice before a set of home games this weekend against the struggling New York Liberty. After a surprising upset of the Connecticut 
Connecticut Sun in their season opener. The Liberty have lost five in a row and sport a minus 13.4 point differential. Wow, that is not very fun. No, easily the worst in the WNBA. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu has been up and down. So has uh, former Storm Guard mm. and UW product Sammy Whitcomb. She's probably devastated about that loss for the Eugene. <laughs> I don't know if she's that, that Lane United done. of Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't grow up in Eugene. I don't know if she's that close. Well, choices were made. Yeah, they, I mean, they were directly mad. She picked Oregon over UW. Yep. But uh, I think that worked out for her, quite frankly. Did it? Because I heard she's been up and down with a disappointing New York Liberty team. Well, Kelsey Plum was kind of up and down early in her career, although now she is awesome. So Courtney Vandersloot was not pursued by UW, right? Was not offered? I believe we'd... I, I don't, I'm sure she wasn't. She wouldn't have chosen... I don't think she would have chosen Gonzaga over UW. Okay. We can we can double check on that one before okay. she comes to town. Choices were not made for Vandersloot. <laughs> Therefore, she's good graces. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the team, the Liberty, uh, have had the worst offense in the league thus far. The team is getting healthier. They got starter Rebecca Allen and promising six foot nine center Han Shu back in the lineup in Tuesday's narrow loss in Minnesota. So Storm will be facing a better version of New York than the team that has lost five in a row. Okay, so let me ask you. Two consecutive victories last week against the defending champion Sky. Well, one against the Sky, the other was against the LA Sparks. Oh, I thought they were both against the Sky. No, no, it was not a home home set like this one. Uh, but two consecutive victories last week. One of those against the defending NBA champion Chicago Sky. WNBA. Uh, yeah, although I don't know if Chicago is really the best team in the league this year. I picked them to go back to the finals, but at this point, it's it's very clear that can, that Las Vegas is the class Hello. of the league. I love Vegas. I mean, Kelsey is, is playing extremely Oh, is she balling? Well. Oh, Hell yeah. yeah. She's starting now. Take that, surprise. Uh, there was a, a Tashan, Tash, Tashan Reed of The Athletic, who covers the Raiders, for them had a feature on her today. Hello. Where uh, I believe she said, fuck the bench about her. Fuck the bench? Yeah. Wow. The six-player award winner last year. Damn. Fuck them picks? <laughs> yes. Uh, so Las Vegas is clearly the class of the league. I thought Connecticut was also going to be right up there, but they lost their starting point guard, Jasmine Thomas, to an ACL tear. So that's going to be a question mark for them. The Storm are 3-3 three and three overall. Miss Brianna Stewart for a handful of those games. Two, two of the three losses, yeah. Where are they at overall as a team? I, I mean, I still think we have a lot to learn about them because of the fact that we've only seen them play four games with the relatively intact group. Uh, we still haven't seen Mercedes Russell at all. Uh, she, according to Noel Quinn last week, was going to start doing on-court week work this week. So it'll be interesting to get an update from uh, Quinn later this week to find out exactly how much Russell is doing, when we can maybe expect to see her back on the court. I think they're still in kind of that second or third tier okay. in the WNBA right now, with okay. Las Vegas alone at this point in the first tier. All right. Well, so if you're in the second tier, but there's only one team in the first tier. Second or third. Okay. Unclear. The Aces, like, all of a sudden, they used to not shoot any threes. They, like, had a good offense still. But that was, like, Bill Lane Beer's whole thing. It's like, we're not shooting any threes. Is Bill Lane Beer still their coach? He's not. He retired. And Becky now Hammond is their coach. Oh, Now they shoot God. all of the Unfair, threes. Unfair. I know. Right? It's like Mark Jackson and Steve Kerr. I don't know if I would say that. Bill Lane Beer did win several championships in the WNBA. None with the Aces. But he did get them to the finals against the Storm. Uh, but we'll find out more this weekend. And that's the season always. <laughs> well, we're not going to find out any more about you. Oh, softball. no. Who we found out things. 
come to an end last weekend in the NCAA regionals. Uh, they beat Lehigh 9-2 in Friday's NCAA tournament opener with Kelly Lynch starting and Pat Moore and Gibby Plain coming on in relief. Plain got the win, is four different Huskies homered in that one. On Saturday against Texas in the first showdown against the Longhorns, the other you know top team in the regional, they took a 2-0 lead into the sixth thanks to an early Bailey Klingler home run before things unraveled. With two outs and the bases loaded, Klingler committed a costly error that allowed one run. That was followed by a Texas hit and a Sammy Reynolds error that gave the Longhorns the lead. Pat Moore then replaced Plain, got out of the jam, before allowing five more runs in the top of the seventh, turning the game into an 8-2 route. That forced the Huskies into the loser's bracket to play Saturday night, where they faced Lehigh, who advanced with a seventh-inning comeback win over Weber State, winning C.J. McCollum the bet of three bottles of wine with Damian oh, Miller wow. that they made on Twitter there before we go. the game. <laughs> so it was fun to see the Blazers' connection there. Uh, Huskies won that game 6-1 behind another four home runs. So then they faced a situation where Sunday they had to beat Texas twice. Texas only had to win once to advance. Uh, Huskies won the first game 2-1 with Plain going the distance and all the offense coming on a two-run homer from Madison Husky. That set up a third and final matchup with the Longhorns Sunday night to decide a spot in the Super Regionals. Texas took a 2-0 lead in the fifth on a two-run double after the bases were empty with two outs, then added an insurance run with a homer in the seventh. Plain was removed with two outs in the seventh to a standing ovation, her last appearance at UW. Huskies rallied for a pair of runs in the bottom of the seventh and had the tying run on base. But Kinsey Fiedler, Fiedler struck out to end it. So the first time UW has ever lost a regional that they've hosted here in Seattle. And just the second time since 2008 they've failed to reach the Super Regional, the other one coming in 2015. And it just felt like this entire season, I mean, started out really, really promising. I think we were feeling very good about it as Gabby Plain's senior year. But it definitely appeared that there was not a lot of pitching beyond Gabby Plain, even with Kelly Lynch. And I mean, Plain had to do yeoman's work this weekend, especially against Texas. She just she was not the shutdown pitcher this in her senior season that they needed her to be. Uh, and I mean, who knows why? But it, it was obviously a phenomenal season and a phenomenal career for Gabby Plain. But the season overall, it wasn't winning the Women's College World Series level, right? It had to be, you know, those performances from a starter, they have to be some of the best in the entire country, maybe the best in the entire country, right? We've seen it a handful of times before with uh, like Daniel Laurie, who's the pitcher from UCLA. Uh, who is the pitcher from UCLA? I don't know why I'm blanking on her name now. I can only remember the other pitcher who was Fraimo. I want to say Juarez or something. Uh, uh, Perez, I think. Well, no, anyway. Garcia? Garcia. Oh uh, yeah, Rachel Garcia? Rachel Garcia, yeah. yeah. But, but that's what these performances have to be in a situation where the margins are so thin. Huskies are not a great hitting team. And especially at the bottom of that lineup, it's coming up, and it's like, didn't yes. seem like they were able to do a lot of damage against Texas. I mean, I and the interesting thing is you sort of project forward to next year is that the hitting looks like the strength of the team because of the fact they're losing playing. She finished her career second in school history in both wins and strikeouts behind Daniel Laurie in both categories. Uh, they also lose Pat Moore, who... Uh, was uh, you know a quality part of the pitching rotation for a period of time, but all their field players have remaining eligibility, and it's not exactly college basketball or college football where you expect the same level of transfers. So uh, you would assume everyone will be back, and that should produce a pretty powerful 2023 offense. Uh, they had a lot of freshmen in key roles. Fiedler was leading off. 
Uh, they had, you know, Olivia Johnson didn't play a lot during the regionals, but you'd expect with her to continue to develop after the really promising start to her career. Uh, but you got to find an ace to replace playing. Kelly Lynch, the most likely candidate, but barely pitched in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, one of the things we see in college softball, it is a really big leap from pitching that Saturday game of a series and being that number two starter to being the ace who's out there Friday and Sunday. And you're facing the other team's best starter instead of their number two starter also is going to be a big factor. So it'll be interesting to see for the Huskies. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks, who are conducting voluntary OTAs this weekend. Ahead of that, they signed veteran wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, is first reported by third Pelton brother Mike Sean Dugar. Uh, Third-round pick by Buffalo out of Texas, Goodwin enjoyed his most productive season with San Francisco, catching 56 passes for 962 yards in 2017. After opting out of the 2020 season due to the pandemic, he returned with Chicago last year, recording 20 catches for 313 yards. Uh, has really consistently strong yards per target figures since he got to San Francisco, averaged around nine yards per target there. And last year's 7.8 was pretty impressive in the context of the Bears offense. Uh, Does probably need to be at least the fourth wide receiver to make the team, given his lack of special teams value. According to Pro Football Reference, Goodwin has played 10 total special team snaps since 2015. I freaking love Marquise Goodwin, though. When I saw this, it was just like, hell yeah. I get to tell you, I feel like I've just kind of forgotten him at some point. Oh, he was always a receiver who, when he was with the Niners, was just like those plays where you're like, oh, God. And certainly, you know, the deep ball is going to continue being a big part of this offense, even without Russell Wilson. And... <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I broke you with that one, didn't I? Uh-huh. Uh, deep ball. And, and Goodwin <clears throat> is very fast. So he's yeah. got that going for him, which is nice. Yeah, no way that any of those throws are going to be under I mean, and intercepted. Look, you know that Jacob Eason throws a very nice deep there ball. There we go. <laughs> the intermediate stuff, eh, not so much, but the deep ball is gorgeous. Well, it, it's a gorgeous throw. It doesn't reach the receivers very well, but like... It's majestic looking. Majestic. In the air. In the air. It's beautiful. Jake Browning did nothing wrong. There uh, really is no happy medium for the Seahawks. Maybe it's Drew Locke. Report Wednesday. Really like Marquis Goodwin, though. Yeah. Uh, a report Wednesday from my ESPN colleague, Adam Schefter, that the Raiders plan to work out Colin Kaepernick. So where are you at, Seahawks? Like, you got nothing to say now. You have no quarterbacks. Other teams are giving him workouts. Where are you at with your, you know, hoping that Colin Kaepernick gets on a roster? They're still hoping. <laughs> still hoping. Big Carroll loves this. He loves the idea of some him being on another team. I, I think the reality of Colin Kaepernick is it's not that big of a story. Like, I barely heard about this. It ain't 2017 anymore. It was kind of just like, I feel like I heard plenty about this. I don't agree that it was not that. I mean, it wasn't a huge story, but. There's a lot going on in the world right now. Uh, There is. Colin Kaepernick getting a workout with the Raiders. Just, it really didn't, didn't rise above the pale. And like. And a workout is just not that big of a deal. I think the media attention that teams were worried about. Teams are such. Yes. Avoidant. Avoidant of any controversy, even if the controversy is only perceived. Imaginary. Let's go with imaginary. We're talking like a couple days of media coverage. But of course, there's a team that has done a a scrupulous job of avoiding controversy and not having distractions in the locker room over the last year. It's been the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, (laughs) Definitely, coaches never bring this on the organization. That's what I'm saying is the 
the Raiders, like, it's whatever. Bring Colin Kaepernick in, sure. But I'm just saying, like, how long is, if, let's say the Raiders sign Colin Kaepernick, how long is that a story? Oh, it's a story as long as he's on the roster. I don't agree with that. There's someone on reporting on SportsCenter about every day of practice what Kaepernick did. I don't know if I agree with that. I think so. I think Kaepernick gets boring at some point, in a good way. I mean, I, I, I hope so. I, I hope that's the case. I, I don't expect that he'll get signed, but we'll see, I guess. The problem with the Seahawks is that he'd be too close to starting. <laughs> yes, in, in Vegas, that, that delineation is much clearer. All right, lastly, uh, Portland radio host and writer John Canzano reported on uh, Monday, I think this was, that insiders expect the Blazers, quote, to be positioned for auction within the next 6 to 18 months with the Seahawks to follow, as well as speculation from a Vulcan source that trustee Jody Allen may want to retain a share of the Seahawks and a comment from a sitting NBA team president that moving the Blazers to Seattle was not an option with the implicit logic that the NBA wants to expand to Seattle and Las Vegas instead. Uh, do we want to take this, like, FAQ style here? Uh, sure. Do I have to ask some frequently asked questions? Yes, that was that was the implication. Uh, I, I mean, I guess the first question is, just because John Canzano reported this, you know, this is not necessarily a report from uh, Woj or Adam Schefter. How real is this report? I mean, I don't, I don't think the question is real. I think the question is how much new information was actually in the report. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that he played up is, well, there's not an option for Jody Allen to just keep these teams. The trust stipulates that they have to be sold. I mean, that was something that was known. Art Teal, actually, who's at sportspressnorthwest.com, reported something I hadn't seen, which is that the timetable for that was 10 years after Allen passed away in October 2018. So it's not exactly a ticking clock here that, like, the knowledge that they have to be sold means that they're going to be sold imminently. And also, like, the idea that they were going to be sold at some point in the near future is not a new idea. I boldly predicted it and laid out my logic for it back in December that it was going to happen within calendar 2022, which I don't really at this point expect. Uh, the idea that the Blazers would be sold first before the Seahawks, I guess, you know, is is an interesting one as opposed to those happening concurrently. I mean, it might make sense from the standpoint of, look, there's just not that many people capable of purchasing a an NBA or NFL team at this point or that many groups that are interested in so uh doing it separately allows the losers of one to become bidders for the other i think that's a possibility that we might see play out but uh i i like my expectations haven't necessarily shifted because of this is this something that you're hearing within espn circles right now or is this the first time you're hearing about it again the idea of an imminent sale was not not anything that I'm, i've heard uh, i guess this other piece of the Blazers moving to Seattle not being an option because of Seattle being an NBA expansion team. I, I never once even really considered this as far as team people in Portland spend a lot of time thinking about the possibility the Blazers might see, spend to Seattle, move to Seattle. People in Seattle spend zero time thinking about this as far as I could. Wow. Tell. Like it's like the, I mean, it's like the classic, like younger brother, older brother, like paranoia of, oh, they're going to take our team and give it to Seattle, which we can't fear about because they already took away our team and gave it to a much smaller city. So it's kind of... Oklahoma City, the older brother in this situation. Portland should maybe be concerned that they moved the team to, I don't know, uh, Little Rock. 
But so there, there's no chatter around this. The idea that the Blazers, I mean, literally, it's just a the Blazers, proximity. There, there's many other teams that are ahead of the Blazers on the list of teams. If somebody were to move to Seattle rather than expansion, the Blazers have a great arena that has been maintained extremely well over the years. They have a diehard fan base when they don't uh, lose every game by 35 points, as presumably they will not continue to go do going forward. A lot more reporting coming out of the combine that the Blazers will trade the plan to trade the number seven pick for a veteran player. Uh, which, Who did you speculate that was? Well, Jeremy Grant has yeah, been a name that's long been linked to them, but maybe not him. Uh, so who who else? So I don't who, think. Who did you hear chatter about? I mean, I I I didn't hear any of this chatter, but I I don't think it was other specific names. It was just that it's not Jeremy Grant or Bust. I think is the, okay. the consensus of the reporting around that. Uh, so I don't think the Blazers are in, in in real danger of moving anywhere, including Seattle. I is to the idea that you wouldn't want to move a team to Seattle because of owners don't want to move a team to Seattle because of expansion. I I mean I think look there's there's a lot more to be reported out on all of this, but there's different camps within ownership groups. Part of the reason that we haven't had expansion is because. A lot of owners don't want to dilute the national TV revenue by expanding and view it as kind of a short-term gain, but a long-term loss because you're splitting that up 32 ways instead of 30. And I think the way that those owners typically view it is... None of them are in the MLS. Well, (laughs) the finances are very different. The MLS TV contract in particular relative to the NBA TV contract. So their expansion is bringing owners a lot more money than TV. In the NBA, you're getting way more money from TV than you are. Literally, from MLS expands, and we don't even know what happened. <laughs> if MLS expands in the forest. <laughs> so I think that there are other owners whose preference would be, hey, I'm paying a lot of money in revenue sharing to some of these smaller markets that don't necessarily have a lot of ticket revenue or broadcast revenue why would we expand instead of moving one of those teams to a city where we know they're going to have a lot better ticket revenue and broadcast revenue? Like Oklahoma City, I think, could be right. (laughs) No one has ever speculated Oklahoma City, I've got to be honest. (laughs) It's just a matter of time. Uh, Again, David Cern's last dying breath was to move teams from profitable markets to non-profitable markets to cause this problem for the NBA a decade later. David Stern had his, had his races. They've, they've built arenas in all the cities since then. That's great. That. That's really good for him. So anyways, I, I don't know how much credence to put in that element of it. I think people are getting a little too, putting the cart a little bit too ahead of the horse in terms of assuming that expansion is going to happen at this point. I mean, you know, Canzano reiterated the general timeline that we've talked about in the past, uh, you know, after the TV deal is renegotiated after the CBA is renegotiated, then we'll talk about expansion. But you know what? We heard that the last CBA and we heard it the CBA, the last TV deal and we heard of the TV deal before then. So I got to tell you, I I'm optimistic, but I would not be counting on expansion. I do think the Las Vegas thing is a different element. The having two markets that could be ready to go with NBA ready arenas is a, a slightly different element. But again, just like, don't don't plan for that Sonic season opener in 2026 or 2027 or whatever the year would be. Maybe don't plan for anything in 2026 or 2027 right now. Uh, what, Seattle's, Seattle's trying to get the uh, World Cup here for 2026. Hello. They're planning for that. 
Hello. Yeah. Italy, Italy won't even be part of it. Who cares? <laughs> I would still go see other teams play here. Would you? We went to the... You didn't enjoy when we went to the... What was it? The... It wasn't the, the, the Copa America Cup. Centenario. Oh, that was the... Uh, yeah, Copa America Centenario. I think Centenario. I was at the Gold Cup. <laughs> oh, you were at the Gold Cup. I was at the Copa America Centenario. Uh, I think those tickets were a lot easier to get than the World well, Cup. I don't dispute that particular <laughs> bit of information. It's a bought, pretty different I bought, climate. I bought tickets to the U.S. opening match in, in Santa Clara, like, day of. <laughs> yes. And there were empty seats around me, I think, that didn't get sold. But yes. So... I, again, I, I don't know that there was a lot of new information and just I think sometimes people that aren't following the story as closely, some of these things, you know, seem like much, much more shocking developments than they are for, I think, people that are. Well, are I mean, he put a timetable on it that is way shorter than this timetable of 10 years after October 2018. And that's like the the end requirement now, you know, is Quintana talked about, as I think RTL also mentioned or Bob Condota, I think, mentioned this in his report on it in the Seattle Times, uh, which also said nothing, according to his sources, is imminent, is that, you know, part of the process here has been there's there were a lot of things in the Paul G. Allen Trust uh-huh. when he passed away that had to be sold off. And so a lot of the real estate has now been sold off in the last year or so, and that might clear the way we're to getting, focus getting closer on. to. I mean, again, this is all the re- these are reasons. Who's, I spe- who's in charge of the Paul G. Allen Trust? Is Jody-, Jody Allen is the exact is the, is the trustee. That's how, the rule in which she becomes the the chair of the Blazers and Sonics. I mean, again, this is all the logic I put together. But does she have is she in incentivized December. to move things along? Let's say that she's making this decision and wants to continue owning the Blazers and the and the and the Seahawks. Is she incentivized to start moving on from those entities? I, I don't know if there's anybody she has to report to in that role of trustee. Uh, I I can't answer that question. So, I mean, yes, it's possible. Maybe she could be like, I'm going to run out the clock on this and wait every last minute and enjoy, you know, owning these teams. Like, clearly the sense seems to be that she's you know, she more not, invested not in the Seahawks than the Blazers. With the finances that she inherited or her own personal finances to make a bid for these teams also? No, because the trust is getting the bulk of the proceeds of Paul, Paul Allen's estate, and that is directed towards charitable organizations and the work that you know he was doing before his Okay, his so Jody on her own as an individual uh, separated from the trust. Is not at the degree of wealth that would be necessary to to be the full owner of these teams now. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. See, I think we got somewhere with the FAQ. All right. I always enjoy that as you a style. You kind of didn't prepare you, you for it. You sprung it upon me. I didn't. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, hope thanks it was for a, listening. Hope it was a good birthday. <laughs> a really good one. Thanks. Thanks.